Welcome to Alec Across the States. I'm your host, Dan Reynolds. Today, we're going to be talking about COVID-19, some policy solutions, and how it's been affecting the criminal justice system. The perfect person to talk about this is Alec's senior director of both the Criminal Justice Task Force and the Civil Justice Task Force. That's Ronald Lampart. Ronnie, thank you very much for calling in for our remote podcast recording here while we are all social distancing. Of course. Thank you for having me. I'm glad this was more than a remote possibility. (laughs) If you guys aren't interested in dad jokes, I suggest you turn off this podcast now. I think it's going to get a little deep. So when we talk about COVID-19's impact on the criminal justice system, there's a lot of things that we could cover. But in this podcast today, we're going to cover how it affects law enforcement personnel, how it affects fines, fees, and driver's licenses, and how it also affects jail and prison considerations. Ronnie, what should law enforcement agencies keep in consideration and think about when it comes to their resources in light of COVID-19? Well, thank you, Dan. And uh, law enforcement has a crucial, crucial role to play in responding to the COVID-19 crisis. For example, right now, law enforcement resources are particularly precious and limited. So some of the things that law enforcement agencies can do to mitigate the spread of the illness and also ensure effective and efficient responses to emergencies is to screen 911 calls to ensure that there is an emergency that requires a response from a police officer. So in normal instances, the law enforcement officer has the capacity to respond to medical emergencies and render first aid if necessary. Uh, However, given the scope of this pandemic and the number of people requiring medical retention, perhaps a response from a health provider may be more appropriate in certain instances. So these dispatchers should be prepared to screen these calls, determine whether to refer that individual to a healthcare provider or if it actually merits a response from a police officer. It would help also prevent law enforcement officers from potentially contracting the coronavirus. And if a number of law enforcement officers get sick, that could put an additional strain on the system, especially since those officers would need to be quarantined or may need to be hospitalized. Yeah, that's a really good point. And um, when we're dealing with a pandemic that is a highly infectious virus, any instance, any system, any new service that we can input or uh, you know, new way we can look at existing systems to try and decrease human-to-human contact, like screening calls um, to determine whether a health provider or dispatch is needed, um, seems like a really important first step, especially when we're still in the mindset of flattening the curve, right? Think along the lines of flattening the curves and things like that. What has maybe the CDC given out um, that law enforcement agencies are considering? So sure. So what what the CDC recommends, at least the uh, latest guidelines are for screening for certain factors. This includes fever of 100 degrees or higher, a cough, shortness of breath or exposure to a high risk area, and potentially exposure to someone who has tested positive. This is perhaps the most obvious instance where screening is warranted. Uh, and, And some of these precautions, in addition to screening these police officers to prevent the spread from, you know, prevent the virus from spreading throughout their law enforcement agency, other precautions that these agencies can actually take are cleaning and disinfecting police stations, police vehicles, 
and areas that are highly trafficked in general, uh, in police stations or other areas. Police officers should also be equipped with sufficient medical gear that would help prevent them from contracting the coronavirus. And to kind of add to this, put this under the law enforcement umbrella, I want to talk about probation officers and what they can do. So these individuals should deploy methods that encourage meeting remotely with certain individuals on probation for violent crime, for nonviolent crimes, rather. So prioritize and understand that certain that individuals who are on probation for crimes of violence might need that interaction or might require that interaction because of public safety reasons, but also say, look, there are certain individuals who might be on probation for nonviolent crimes that could uh, call in to check in with their probation officer remotely. And this could be done technologically. If the individual has a smartphone, it can show where the individual is and we can, they can discuss how the individual is complying with the terms of their probation. And this could also include using video technology and other methods to verify that probationers are complying with the terms of their probation. But let's face it, right now, all of us are learning about our video capabilities and a lot of our jobs. Those of us who are fortunate enough to be able to work from home are learning about how to use video technology to our advantage. And also, let's not forget about correctional officers or officers in jail. So yeah. these are individuals who also interact with prisoners and should be provided similar protective equipment, and they should be screened for symptoms. And if they test positive, they should be barred from entering the correctional facility. And perhaps prisons should look at easing restrictions on overtime for employees and considering hiring additional correctional staff to compensate for the potential reduction of available officers should any of them get sick. Ultimately, though, all law enforcement officers should have access to medical care if they are experiencing symptoms or have tested positive for the virus. That is of paramount importance. Yeah, that's super important. I mean, we need to keep those who are on the front lines, our medical professionals, our law enforcement professionals, people who are really on the front lines of this issue. We have to keep them on the front lines of our mind as well. We're thinking about protecting them. When it comes to law enforcement officials and, and trainings, what sort of trainings do law enforcement officials need to understand or be prepared to engage in when it comes to COVID-19? So law enforcement officials should be made aware and, and staff members of law enforcement agencies should be made aware of what to look for in an individual and whether or not they are they themselves are sick or might have had exposure to coronavirus or if an individual who they've arrested might in fact have the coronavirus or might be exhibiting symptoms of the coronavirus. Sure. So some of the measure that law enforcement agencies can take is enacting written policies that actually train these law enforcement officials and their staff members to separate symptomatic arrestees from other individuals. And this should include a comprehensive plan that actually provides for transporting the arrestee to and from a medical facility or hospital to receive testing and treatment. And it's encouraging that many law enforcement agencies across the country are taking precautions to combat the spread of the virus already. And they've adopted uh, several of these ideas. Uh, and in fact, the head of the International Association of Chiefs of Police told ABC News a few weeks ago that police departments and law enforcement agencies are actually changing the way they respond to calls in cases when an officer is not necessarily needed and maybe a referral to a healthcare provider might be more appropriate. 
so they're understanding the risks of having individuals exposed and understanding that the resources are, in fact, precious and prioritizing which calls to make and how they're going to interact within the station, how they're going to separate individuals, uh, arrestees, first, uh, if they're exhibiting symptoms of coronavirus, how they're cleaning the police stations. It's encouraging to know that they recognize this and that they understand that they are of paramount importance and having as many law enforcement officers available to respond to this crisis is crucial. Yeah, I completely agree. That's It is really encouraging to see that some of these precautions have been taken up. Uh, it's very important, and I hope uh, more and more law enforcement agencies do begin to take up some of these precautions. Moving on a little bit here to the second segment that we outlined earlier, I want to talk a little bit about fines, fees, and driver's licenses. So Alec actually has a model policy within the Criminal Justice Task Force that you're the senior director of called the Resolution on Criminal Justice Fines and Fees. Can you explain to our listeners um, just briefly what that resolution says and then maybe take a few moments to describe how that resolution addresses or informs us during the COVID-19 pandemic? Absolutely. So the ALEC model resolution on criminal justice fines and fees supports that ensuring that fines and fees imposed by the criminal justice system, that they're reasonable, transparent, and proportionate. and also do not conflict with the goals of improving public safety and reducing recidivism and ensuring that victims receive restitution. So what this really does is that it sets up schemes where perhaps an individual who has to pay fines or court fees, if they are complying with the other terms of their probation or of their sentence, perhaps they can discharge their fines and fees in another manner, such as performing community service. Now, right now, the situation's a little different with a lot of courts closed. So courts have recognized that perhaps these are difficult times right now. Let's face it, the entire economy is shut down pretty much. So if an individual owes fines or fees, what courts have done is they've suspended the payment of all fines and fees until the courts reopen, and this is probably going to be until a, a sufficient amount of time has passed after the CDC has determined that the coronavirus is no longer a threat to public safety. So what states and localities should do is they should offer these individuals the opportunity to delay their payments until they can make them, or once courts open back up and individuals are still struggling to find work, what they can do is say, okay, well, you can't find work but you can discharge a court debt by performing community services. Mm-hmm. This uh, has been done in a number of different states, uh, some states such as Maine, Minnesota, and New Mexico. They've temporarily eased requirements for paying court fines and fees, or, and I'll get to this next, they've stopped suspending driver's license due to a failure to pay these court fines and fees or due to a failure to appear in court. And uh, for our listeners who maybe want to go more in depth, um, we will make sure that we link all of this information in the show notes. And Ronnie actually has a great article on the ALEC website about this very topic, talking about what states can do to address um, the coronavirus impact on the criminal justice system. We will link to that blog post in the show notes. So go ahead and check it out after listening. But uh, sorry to cut you off, Ronnie. Just wanted to make sure our listeners knew about that. Well, that's important. I'm glad that 
They now know about that. So to tie in the fines and fees issue with another overlapping issue is the ALEC model resolution in support of limiting driver's license suspensions to violations that involve dangerous driving. So this resolution encourages state policymakers to revise laws to limit driver's license suspensions imposed for violations against the government conduct that involves individuals convicted of dangerous driving offenses, such as driving under the influence, or if the individual has multiple moving violations. So many times, as you'd imagine, fines and fees are often a penalty for failing to pay fines and fees can result in the suspension of a driver's license. So many states have begun to address this issue. Last year, Montana passed a law, or enacted a law rather, that that they are not going to suspend a driver's license for conduct unrelated to dangerous driving. And this includes the not suspending a driver's license for failure to pay fines and fees. So another thing states can do to make sure, and localities really can do, to make sure that an individual isn't driving with an expired license is to extend the amount of time that individuals can get their license renewed. For example, if a license expired on or after March 1st, it could be problematic for a person to try to get their license to renew because several DM Department of Motor Vehicles offices th- throughout the country have been closed as a result of the coronavirus. Right. Making it almost impossible to renew your license in those instances. Oh, absolutely. So what some states have done, as I met the states I mentioned earlier, they've temporarily eased these requirements and said that once they reopen back up, we'll uh, give you the opportunity to renew your driver's license. But for right now, we're extending the uh, deadline. Got it. So moving on now to our third segment, which we can call the jail and um, prison considerations um, that come about because of COVID-19. Talk to our listeners a little bit. We've already talked briefly about corrections officers when we were talking about law enforcement officials in the first segment. Um, Talk to our listeners about what considerations need to be made or what considerations people need to remember and think about in light of the spread of COVID-19? Well, sure. Well, it's important to remember those, the forgotten members of society, and certainly prisoners are often the most forgotten members of society and other incarcerated individuals. But these jails and prison facilities do, in fact, have an essential role to play in preventing the spread of COVID-19 while still continuing to help incarcerated individuals be connected to their families and continue to have access to reentry programs. So as many of you may have read, what's happened is that prisons and jails have curtailed or have completely barred in-person visits uh, from the inmates, family members, and other visitors. So with facilities should do in response is to increase the amount of time that inmates can contact their family members via phone or video. Sure. So, and what that enable and what that enables these members to do is, is still see their family members. These visits often provide hope during an individual's period of incarceration. And what jails and prisons can also do is notify family members of the prisoners. If, measures such as quarantines or hospitalizations occur at the facility. And right now, states such as Missouri, Utah, and others have actually allowed inmates more phone time as a result of direct 
visitations being limited. Is there any concern with, um, you know, we talked a little bit about cleaning down police vehicles and ensuring hygiene within, you know, cleanliness and facilities. And is there any concern for jails and prisons and the cleanliness of those facilities? Oh, absolutely. So that, that's another priority that these facilities should undertake is increasing the cleanliness of not only the facilities, but also of inmates and promoting inmate sure. hygiene. Yeah, that makes sense. So, right. It, it, it seems to make sense, right? Because facilities right now, for example, classify soap, certain soaps and hand sanitizer as contraband. So what these facilities should do is stop classifying this as contraband, obviously, these sanitizing products, and also provide inmates hand sanitizer for free. This would help with inmate hygiene and also to prevent the virus from spreading. In common areas, cells should be cleaned more often than usual. And as I mentioned earlier, those who do exhibit certain symptoms should be monitored pursuant to the most recent CDC recommendations. And this, these measures have already been undertaken in states such as Arizona, Kansas, and Missouri. They've undertaken these efforts to clean their facilities and also to raise awareness about the importance of hygiene and stopping the spread of the virus. Yeah, that's awesome. So are there any other tools or pieces of technology that can help benefit prisoners and and inmates during the COVID-19 pandemic? Sure, absolutely. So right now, as nearly everyone knows, the CDC has recommended social distancing, no, no large gatherings, maintain six feet of separation between someone. So what happens is a lot of these reentry programs that are in these prisons obviously are in larger groups. They involve intimate settings as well. So again, this allows these facilities to get creative and use technology and other tools to provide these reentry programs and also religious services as well uh, to allow inmates to continue their education, their treatment programs. Uh, these ALEC model resolution in support of reentry programs recognizes the importance of these programs and the role they play in not only reducing recidivism rates, but also offering those with a criminal record a second chance. So this is crucial. Technology does have a big role to play, both inside and outside of prisons. And I think this is one instance where it will be tremendously beneficial to continue these reentry programs using technology. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And it, you know, you, you said that a lot of the different things you were talking about today have been encouraging. And I hope our listeners uh, walk away with that same feeling because that's what I'm feeling right now. Um, it really is encouraging to see how different states have already stepped up when it comes to inmate and facility hygiene, when it comes to, you know, allowing technology so inmates can contact their family and friends. And then, you know, also thinking about some of the people on our front lines, right? The law enforcement personnel and making sure they're trained to understand COVID-19, able to see it, and also to be able to best respond and understand it as well. But then there's, you know, in between that, there's there's the the regular guy who just wants to, you know, follow the law, but guess what? His license is expired, and should we really find that guy? Because guess what? The DMV is closed. Probably not. Ronnie, really appreciate everything you've been talking today. Um, it does bring us to the end of our segment. Um, is there anything else you'd like to touch on maybe in conclusion for uh, our listeners? Well, sure, Dan. Well, thank you for having me on today. And just to wrap up, these are ideas for states 
and localities to consider to ensure a more effective response to the coronavirus. Public safety is an absolutely essential function of government, and allied policies have provided the bedrock for sound policy solutions to this crisis. ALEC is committed to providing these government officials and other policy stakeholders at the state and federal level with the tools they need to make the best decisions for their constituents and the general public. Dan, thank you so much again today for having me on. No, thank you, Ronnie. And uh, listeners, please check out uh, his ALEC.org article, which we will link in the show notes. Um, A really awesome read where it lists out a bunch of different ALEC models that can help um, inform uh, the criminal justice solutions to COVID-19 while also listing out some states that have already taken action within these spheres. Ronnie, once again, thank you very much. Thank you, Dan. I'm Dan Reynolds, your host. If you're interested in being featured on Across the States, please feel free to email acrossthestates at alec.org. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Across the States, the leading state-focused policy podcast presented by the American Legislative Exchange Council, the premier free market organization of and for legislators. To learn more about our work or to make a tax-deductible donation, visit alec.org. Tell us what you think on Facebook and Twitter at Alec States. The views and opinions expressed on Across the States are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the American Legislative Exchange Council. 